0: Hello, welcome to 5 Questions with Steve Moulter, that's me. Will Daly is a versatile and award-winning musician based in Boston whose latest record Golden Walker will be out on June 1st. He is deeply involved with multiple charitable organizations including Farm Aid, the foundation to be named later, and Zoomix, as well as other local organizations. He's a husband and father of two, and a genuinely down-to-earth, affable, and humble dude. I met up with Will at his home and studio just outside Boston where we had a long and very compelling chat about the positive impact on the arts of affordable access to healthy food, the selfishness of making art, uh, the difference between quitting and moving on, the consequences of trying to do everything by yourself, the automatic privilege of being a white male, that guns represent weakness and fear, and we even had time to go off on a pretty sweet tangent about our magical experiences of seeing our beloved Pearl Jam in concert for the very first time. Meet Will. So, as a musician, the process has become so important. And the result is, you know, you get the record, and you're like, cool. And then you put it on a shelf, and then you're like, what am I doing next, right? Right. And so it's like that process, I feel like, is what's going on with Five Questions. But it's also good in that process to put um, restrictions on yourself. So when I write records, and I'm sure you do the same, like... Sometimes I'm just like, okay, I'm not gonna play guitar on this record, and I did that once. You know, it was like my second solo record. I'm not gonna play guitar. Like, what? I'm a guitar player. You know, but it's fun to go through that process to see what comes up. You know, and I, yeah. I feel like that's what I'm doing with this project. So
1: yeah, that's a lot cool. of a lot of art succeeds ar- around the idea of rules. Like, yeah, I would say like I think it was like a Stephen King book that just kind of solidified this for me on his book on writing, but he's like, yeah, you fill your toolbox with as much tools and rules and ideas as possible. And then you can skip it all if you want. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, the thing that makes a joke, a joke funny is the pattern and right. then upsetting it. Right. You know, so you, you, you have to exist for a minute in the world of rules and then break the the world for a second. Right. Right. And that, that's like that's what a hook in a song is. Absolutely. And that's what a twist in a movie is. Absolutely. Totally. You know, so, um, always just kind of looking for those things. Definitely. And, and trying to, you know, recognize the world of boxes and not live in any world with any boxes.
0: And that that's an interesting point that you said because I'm curious, like, I, you know, I don't know about how you got into music. I, I read, you know, I read like the stuff that's out there, but I don't know you well. Yeah. Um, did you learn were you a student of music or was it uh a, a, an emotional expression first you know on which side of the spectrum did you lie or was it somewhere in the middle it was an
1: emotional expression first yeah. it was a tennis racket for my guitar yeah. it was a flashlight for a microphone yeah totally and it was uh magic magical yeah like purely magical like a bunch of in exposure a lot of the different people in my family from a divorce but then both you know Mother and father went and both had new households mm. that had a lot of riches. It was a lot of work, you know, and it was sure. a lot of things as it is divorces for kids, but there's a lot of lot of um, dynamic in, in in art and in, in humanity in that experience for me. So, you know, I remember my, my father's Led Zeppelin and, and like Synchronicity too by the police, okay. or Synchronicity by the police. Yeah. No, uh, is it Synchronicity's album, Synchronicity? Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember. But police album, like, I remember hearing like when the yeah. leafy breaks for the first time at my Father's oh, House God. and be like, oh, this must be magic. Cause I don't even know how anyone would have figured that, you know, who, <laughs> yeah. who, who could recreate that? And I've come to learn like, no, you, you can't recreate that because that's human beings in a room mm-hmm. and they're miking up space mm-hmm. and it only exists in that space with mm-hmm. space with that mic channel and that performer and that human being in the argument they were having or the joy they were having. Yep. Um, so, so it was magic now, especially now. We kind of limit ourselves to yeah. that kind of human experience. But um, it was purely emotional at, at first. And then I was like, all right, well, I guess I got to put some work into this. <laughs> so, so what
0: did you do? Like, like did you dive into theory? Are you like, um,
1: you know? No, I remember, I mean, the, these are the earliest memories of feeling that way about music and wanting to perform it. Um, and my mother would take me to a lot of musical theater and I would like pretend to conduct that's cool, um, with kitchen utensils, so it was and and things like guitars felt like far away, like how does a human being get a guitar into their their household and I didn't have like a piano in my household or anything like that, so it was public education, piano lessons, all right, didn't really catch public education, trumpet, all right, didn't really catch violin, didn't really catch, um, but thanks to a public education, I could try all those things, and they were they were there for me to take a hit at. Um, and then around, well, my mother met my stepfather and he had a Martin acoustic guitar. So I was like, oh my God, there is a acoustic guitar. There's a guitar in my world. Um, and, uh, it almost felt like, yeah, no, you should stay with that guy. Yeah, you know, totally. <laughs> <laughs> he has a guitar. He also had like a TV or something like that. So it was like, <laughs> uh, oh yeah. You know, you have a VCR. That's what it was. Right. Um, so, and then. And then he was the one actually said, oh, you you want a guitar? Um, he found a used one. Took me to get my own money to go buy it. It was just some, uh, like a Sears brand. It was yeah, an electric guitar True. with amp. And they got me guitar lessons. And I think anyone who was, who was related to me at that time it's like, oh, he's got a new instrument, whatever. He'll get rid of this one in a second. But, um, well, look growing. at you now. Yeah. And I grew <laughs> up in a sports town, and it was my only mode of survival, too. I mean, it wasn't, I, I don't really relate to, like. Well, had to get girls to get a guitar, like that wasn't it. It was yeah. like I finally found my key, yeah, into music that I was looking for the whole time. I knew I had to find the key. For sure. I just tried four or five different ones before I got the guitar for sure um, and I tried drums, I always had a drum set in my life all the time. But I just sucked at it, you yeah, know, it just yeah. it wasn't the thing I wanted to wake up every day and pick up and right. discover things through right, so that's pretty sweet, man. I
0: mean the just the process of finding your thing right. And and being able to finally express yourself. I can imagine like for me as a guitar player too, mm-hmm. I, I hear the same thing that you're saying. I've I've been there and finally being able to like write and being like, Oh wow, I can express myself the way I never could. Yeah. And I'm, you know, 38 now and I get to still do that. Yeah. And I'm really lucky. Even if it's just, you know, for five seconds, like mm-hmm. picking, plugging my guitar in and turning on a couple of pedals and playing one chord and going, Oh shit, I got to remember that. You know, yeah, it's so crazy. And like, it's that's so it. And I don't know if I'll ever use, it doesn't matter. But like, there's a moment of expression that it goes out, it's done and I am better because of it.
1: And it, it, absolutely, and it never gets old. And really, when it comes down to it, the only reason I do this for a living—like, I could care less about. I, I, I do the music business to survive, to always get be allowed to do that feeling. Yeah, it's purely selfish. Yeah, and success, any success, is just okay. Good. I guess I keep doing this. I get to keep <laughs> cheating life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and also to that effect, like. I feel bad for anyone who comes up to me and said, Oh, I wish I picked up an instrument. That means oh, oh yeah. you you weren't offered the keys. Yeah. You weren't offered yeah. everyone should be able to walk into their education system as a child mm-hmm. and be like, Here's 40 different instruments. There's hundreds yeah. of others, but yes. here's
0: 40. Right, here's 40. That's a pretty good mix. Take a week with each. Yeah, exactly.
1: Why do we, well, you get to try 40 books out? Right. You know, right. And, and and why are we not allowed that human experience? Well, I think it's obvious, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, productivity would fail. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, man. No, I, I don't know. I would. I'm kidding, but yeah, no, no, for sure. But th- I mean, there's
0: a lot of reasons why that doesn't work, and I, I believe that it's all systemic, and yeah. that it's not for the benefit of anyone. But yeah. you do charity work, mm-hmm. right? And so, can you just talk a little bit about that? Then we're not even talking any questions right now. I'm not even getting right, into right. five questions right, yeah, yet. Fine. But um, I'm curious about the charity work you do, and is it specifically education based? And is if not, you know, is that something you want to do?
1: It's specifically where I think I can make a syst- like a systemic influence. If I'm going to put my energy on this sh- short trip into something, um, I'd love to fight cancer, but I'm not going to be the best at fighting cancer. And um, I don't know, um, well, I just don't know much about cancer or something like that. But I do know if I um, align myself with family farmers, I'm not just helping those farmers, I'm helping our whole agricultural system, which helps the health of the human population, and also when you really communicate what the family farmer does and the importance of it, uh, it also helps those in poverty, because they're the first ones to be screwed by an unhealthy food system, and they're the last ones to recover from a course correction. So... I feel like that without agriculture our whole system fails our education system fails our you know music becomes a lot harder to do and you know keeping you know your oboe reed whittled is not going to happen if you're if you're struggling to eat um so that just seems like a really strong focus point to always keep myself aligned with that has a an everlasting um impact yeah and universal i mean yeah. you're hitting it
0: on the head i mean like yeah. that I haven't thought of it in that way, and it completely makes sense. Yeah. If you can't eat; you can't do anything.
1: Right, and um, and if you're being fooled into think you're eating, you're being fooled into a kind of subjugation in a way. A if big you're time. Getting, if you're constantly fed on uh, healthy food and, and poisonous food,
0: right, which is happening every day and all the time, and it's becoming so acceptable, yeah, to, to society, and it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm.
1: And and the one thing I I do the one hopeful thing I feel about America is the way we are. Waking up a little bit about food, but we do need to wake up more about how it affects the poorest Americans and how, when these companies, these fast food companies, and these companies that are poisoning us realize we're getting hip, they're gonna they're moving to India, yeah. they're moving to China, yeah. um, where they're not hip to it yet. Right. And um, I feel responsibility to humans first before I feel responsibility to just being an American. So. Um, it's a good, uh, it's just a good place to be standing. And then, uh, another group I work with is Zoomix and they're, um, kind of goes back to that, that music education yeah. and, um, in the ability to be human and, and feel each other. I mean, I could, you know, someone, I could be on the opposite end of the spectrum of, let's say guns, taxes, uh, social services, if they're a good musician mm-hmm. and we can hang and we can turn amps up and hit things hard yeah we're gonna get something done right you know so um if we all have that kind of ability uh going forward uh, it'll be easier and you know then you get someone like mike Huck- huckabee who kind of sucks at the bass you'd be like no you suck you know <laughs> you can't play with, you know if, if you're not going to get anywhere them, you can really call them out by their musicianship yeah, like, totally. all right let's play something really fast oh you can't Oh, you're not versed in that language. What well, makes you think you're versed in the language of talking about uh, a single mother then? Yeah, absolutely. So you absolutely. kind of expose them yeah. through their, their art um, or the lack thereof. Right, yeah, right, right. That's cool. That man. might have be been mean of me to say, but I, hey, whatever. whatever, man. This, um, this is the truth, man. It's yeah. all that matters. And um, and then then the other one is I, I a couple of times a year, and I'm on, again, I'm basically on an advisory board with all these charities and uh is another one is a uh, foundation to be named later which few have seen and peter gammon's who are baseball heroes and uh to put it lightly for pal- Theo. yeah <laughs> yeah and and oddly like pals now so i'm like i, hey, like, I forget a little bit like oh that's my friend's freaking out <laughs> um but he's uh a brilliant person and a charitable person as is peter gammon's and no, I, no one makes me feel better about uh and alive than peter gammon's when i'm around him and um so their their foundation what i love about it is um inner city programs instead of saying hey every year we got this one charity and it's this and that it's like what charities are really functioning and doing great work and they're coming a little short this year yes let's shore them up and uh and through that i've just gotten to work with the most amazing people and get close with heroes like I mean, Eddie Vedder was a hero of mine, and now I, get, I played like three gigs with him. And um, at the last gig, he's like, "Why don't you play one of your songs in my set?" Just like everyone in, involved, the foundation will be named later, and hot stuff, cool music. It's just this family, and and secretly, we're through music and, and joy. We're just r- raising money in this like covert mission to show up. Yeah, um, programs to that keep help. people. Up, well, yeah, and it's right? um, uh, at risk communities. Yeah people who um, need it the most yeah
0: I, I worked in i was mentioning before i worked in finance and i was on the social responsibility board and we mm-hmm. did a lot of work like that and, and one of the programs it was like a larger corporate mission was the same exact thing let's mm-hmm. find the the people who are just on the short end of the stick right like we we donate a ton of money to different people or different organizations every year then there are some people that have to drop down let's focus on them mm-hmm. and keep them up there you know yeah. and it was nice to be able that like a a huge insurance company was really concerned about these small organizations that really only affect neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. but they're important. You need those people because you can, you know, we worked with boys and girls club and they're huge and that's great. They do Mm -hmm. such good work, but it's also nice to work with. We had a place in Culver city called DD Hirsch and it was like mental health services for kids through adults. And it was smaller organization. They needed the help. And when we did donate to them, they felt it and Mm -hmm. they were so grateful. Whereas when we give to boys and girls club, it's like the Lakers are on their way in and you know, it's, it feels a little different. Mm -hmm. It's all good work. Mm -hmm. It just depends on where you want to put your, your, your money, you
1: know? So, yeah. That's an interesting thing too. Like corporations, I mean, growing up nineties and the aughts, it's like corporations were the enemy. I feel like corporations are starting to realize, Oh, if we don't fix this, we're not going to, have any customers or quality of message or anything i feel like in a weird way it's kind of switched it's like well all right well government's not going to fix global warming or poverty <sighs> totally or inequality mm-hmm. and um or are the art, support the arts yep so they're step some of them uh and credit do it where it is are stepping in yeah a bit.
0: i've seen a handful that's like you know the corporate consciousness right yeah. and it's it's there i would like to see more of it of course it should be the only it should be a, a should, whole platform it yeah. should be as big as hr and every yeah, corporation exactly but, um, exactly but it's it's interesting to see and like I, I remember i had a friend who worked at tom's the shoe company mm-hmm. and they do such good work there and it's like it's sustainable the business model is mm-hmm. sustainable where you can really have a huge impact on people who need it uh and then also you know make money yeah right? and like that's that's if that can work why can't we do that all mm-hmm. over the board you know so yeah. hopefully we have a lot of corporations coming around to do that uh, continue to right yeah right because
1: I gotta tell his
0: son, and then tell his son he should be
1: alive all oh,
0: So, okay, I'm going to ask you your first five question questions. <laughs> I'm interrupting your flow here. Let's do this. Because it would be funny, though, if we didn't get it at all. Know, at the end, we're like, know, well, right. oh, well. Um, all right, now I have to run, run through my bank in my mind. Okay. What is the most difficult thing you've ever had to do?
1: Probably give up a little. Um, <clears throat> it was difficult at the first, but... I mean, musically and in life, um, like I just the selfishness of doing art, and we'll leave the word selfishness where it can exist in a positive and a, and a negative. Maybe um, it just constantly drove me to to work at it because, man, playing that guitar chord just feels good being in a room with people playing the song, new song for the first time feels amazing in front of an audience in a studio with other human beings. I know no better feeling. Sex is, sex is right there. Yeah. But that a day in the studio lasts a lot longer than sex. So, um, and you can still have sex while you're in the studio. So that's probably the best day. Um, but I just worked and worked and worked to, to always maintain that high. And then I got to that pl- a place in the business where I was at the top, the perceived top of that business and, you know, and in a major label and surrounded by people. And I got there and I just felt my own personal red flags going up everywhere and traditional red flags for that kind of situation that we all know about and right. heard about in books and movies and documentaries mm-hmm. and personal ones that I had. Um, and so I had to quit. You know, I had to say, I had to say no, I had to, I did it very graciously and um, methodically uh, to get out of uh, it unscathed and cleanly um, and asked allies for help to get out. And, um, but a lot of those allies, well, you're quitting, so I won't, you know, I don't know what to do if you don't want to be here. So I lost some friends and stuff like that. And, um, and, and, and kind of was thought of as like a quitter for a second. Um, Did you f- think you were a quitter? I was pretty miserable. I yeah. mean, I was—I was miserable when, when I was in it. But then, uh, as soon as I told everyone what happened, what I was gonna do, yeah, I just felt like, oh man, I—I'm like, oh, the high is gonna continue as long as you tell the truth and do, in and, and saying no and quitting something isn't a negative, you know. But it was h- very hard and confusing because you're being told and. Everyone's celebrating this thing that you've reached and and so on and so forth. And the same thing goes for being an artist and following that selfish high um, and having a family or having someone that you love. And, you know, I have peers who kind of sometimes put that love a close second or the responsibilities a close second and i won't speak for them but for me if i if i do that when you get to that moment to play that chord or reach that high you don't have any life energy you don't have any purpose you know if i just wanted to stay on the road the whole time my experience would just be trying to stay on the road the whole time and what new art would i be making with the experience if i wasn't struggling to i wanted to be on the road but i also need to like give up some of these opportunities to be on the road to do this thing with this little person and but then I found like so for a while I'm like oh am I not competing or or working am I am I I quitting this thing but then I'm I end up with that same all, all the buzz that life led you to in the first place that gives you all the compost for for your for your output when you hit that chord and it feels glorious you know and it doesn't feel like um something you're just sustaining it just feels like oh, i get to be back here and got like, I'm, I'm gonna get to go do this thing too and have this life experience which is gonna inform one each going to inform the other and just totally man balance finding balance so i think the hardest thing was just coming to terms with that and also on a regular basis not letting anybody judge my art because I'm not doing 200 shows a year, and I'm yeah. only doing 100 or something like that. God, you know, no. it's like how dare you? Or, you know, so <laughs> um, or 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 being hard on myself because you do lose ground, you do yeah. give up certain things. Yeah. Um, but uh, I feel also feel more glorious too when I get get to the stage, or when I get to some important life, intimate life moment. I can do both, so. Um, but it's, 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 it was hard to figure out and maintain And, and maintain still In the penance of the present It is rapping at your door The side effects of experimental medicine you It chases you through picture frames And keeps you from the sun Breaks you in a million pieces like it all
0: We're talking about performing, and there's just like, I want to fan out for a second. I yeah. just want to be like a fanboy with you for a second, because you obviously played shows with Eddie Vedder, and mm-hmm. I have to ask, what was your favorite Pearl Jam concert experience growing up? The first one. Yeah. Where, where, where was it? Tell me about I it. I
1: lied to my parents, and I said, uh, well, I said I, I told my mother I was sleeping at my dad's house. My dad, they didn't talk. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, fine I'm night. fine. If you guys can be that yeah. dumb, yeah. I'm going to take <laughs> advantage of this. And I hopped a ride with some seniors to um, Lollapalooza. No way. Was, yeah. Which year ninety two? I I don't know. Yeah. Whatever Pearl Jam was at. Right, right, i lost right. track I of time. Yeah. But yeah. um <laughs> It was Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, oh, Red Hot Chili Peppers oh, when yeah, they yeah, wore yeah. socks, yeah. ministry, Ice Cube. Um, yes. It was so we didn't have tickets we hop the fence of roll. Great Woods. Oh, dude. What you would yeah. do, you'd go to the woods. There'd be like yeah. 100 kids in the woods waiting. I'd be like, go. You I all don't... run up this hill. And yeah. you book it up this hill. That would yeah. like kill me today. I remember that. Yeah, and yeah. then you all jump this like... You get in the like back of the lawn whatever. area, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you do get a quick boost from someone. Then pull them up real quick. Mm-hmm. Hop over. 100 people hop over at the same time. Right. You're, You're in. in. You're Forget on the lawn. It. Just split. Scatter. Right? Yeah. You find the one friend who has tickets. Absolutely. They get you down to a seat. Exactly. So... Pearl Jam was on third that day. And and I was into the record and everything. I was into all the records that were, blow, you know, kind of blowing my mind and separating this thing of rock that I had and, and kind of just, it was such an exclamation point in, in the world at that time. And, um, and they jump out on the stage. And I, I remember I'm towards the back of the seats. And um, I think I smoked pot for the first time. I I don't remember if it was before or after but I remember that thing I'm just like I got lost from friends I I had the most freeing nomadic experience in this one concert of La Palooza that I had ever before in my life um, at that point and I'm looking at the stage and just pure energy is coming from the stage and they look like fleas jumping around and Eddie Vedder's climbing up a rope ladder he climbs up to the middle and he gets it swinging around and I feel danger, I feel joy, I hear rock and roll, I hear purpose, I hear intention. Like the one thing I always love about, one th- multiple things I love about that band, but like I always feel an intention, you know, either it's a, it's a democratic uh, intention between a band sharing things, uh, well, an intention to always be free of um, any kind of. Construct that they haven't agreed upon, or mm-hmm. they don't feel free as artists in. Mm-hmm. And I just felt all that in that moment. I'm like, I'm gonna do that. Yeah, that's legit. I'm gonna do that. And from that moment on, the band was always some something that um I don't they're almost feel like my best friends band. Yeah. Not like the band that I think is the best band in the world. I think they're great. Yeah. It's not that. Yeah. But totally. like, I feel like no, you got to see my friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. And Definitely. and um and the the aspect of the set list that they still do, and then yeah. when you're a young teenager, and MTV is everything, and this band says we're not making videos anymore, all of a sudden, I, I that that lesson of that was like you have to love your stuff very much, no matter what, and someone's gonna want you to do something one day. Or just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean you have to do it. But it told me that they loved their art and they trusted their art more than they trusted anything else. So um, they always had my trust and faith. And um, and then I got to play with them. That I can't imagine that, man. And like, tell them that. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: That, that I grew up with them as well. Like my brother is a couple years older than me. And He had 10, and he was like, Oh, you should check this record out. And I was like, uh, What, <laughs> like, yeah. what is what the fuck just happened to my life? Yeah, and then versus Vitalogy and just continue down the line, mm-hmm. you know, yield, no code. I don't think I just did that out of order. My buddies are gonna be pissed that I just said those out of no, order, you did right? It right. Uh, and then oh, yeah, oh, yeah, uh, no no code, code. if it's no code, then yield, then, yeah. but um, binaural, but like having those records yeah. be like just. I just trusted them. Like you said, every time they put out a record, even if I didn't love it, it was good. I know. And within the context of what was happening in the world is probably a top 10, Mm -hmm. you know? And even as they got to the later stuff, like I kind of dropped off, like, you know, Avocado, Mm -hmm. not for me. Um, The later records, just not really for me. They got Mm -hmm. to whatever they got.
1: And sometimes, yeah, you know, they were still good records. Mm -hmm. They just weren't, my record, you know? yeah, and there's always that that and that's going to happen with Absolutely. anything. No and, band is going to be perfect, and you have to. Well, that's <laughs> for why, you like, for you, and that's also why his solo record was so exciting because yeah. it was different. Yeah. Like sometimes <clears throat> Pearl Jam's still going to sound like Pearl Jam now, yeah. and yeah. sound like a bunch of guys who have lives who are trying to get into the studio <laughs> yeah. to make something as opposed to. This right. is not the only thing we do. Which yeah. I think after yield maybe stopped. Exactly they had lives, right? You've talked about this before, us. right? Yeah. You have
0: kids, you have responsibility, you yeah. have to deal with your life. You don't necessarily want to do that all the right. time, right? I want to spend time with other people and see the world or whatever.
1: But then and, like you uh, hear some but then you hear I mean, but every album still has like something I'm like I remember when I heard the fixer, I'm like, Oh man, they got a little like they went to the hook and they appreciated yeah. the hook. I was like, yeah. this is yeah. exciting because it was visceral. I'm like, the world needs a visceral hook. Yeah.
0: I, appreciate appreciate so that, yeah. I was like so grateful. I was at the time I was like hook, anti hook. So I was like, nah, I don't like it. Right, right, it. You know, right. Like yeah, curmudgeon in the corner. But now <laughs> Everything I think yeah, it's time. Yeah. Big time, crazy. man. Big time.
1: Um, but yeah. And and then the, the pluralism that could exist on a record for me still fucked me up and it still fucks me up today. Yeah. Cause for better or worse, I'm a male singer songwriter. <laughs> And I never like I never wanted to be right. I, I made my intention. first record because I was in my high school band still, and I was feeling stifled. So I, mm. you know, when I had twenty five bucks, I went to this studio that was all vintage gear, nice sixteen track analog, nice. no computers. I'm like, if I'm gonna be a white guy making a record yeah. called Will Daily, I'm gonna, <laughs> you know, it's gonna be the rawest, yeah. just thing I can do, yeah. And that that just worked. It took off at yeah. that whatever taking off was at that moment in my life yeah. It took off the, I the relative Turned back from it and just yeah. kept going all of a sudden I'm like, oh, shit, I'm stuck being me. And a lot of that, you know, a lot of the, like, what happens for me is I wasn't folk enough for folk. I wasn't rock enough for rock. I wasn't indie enough for indie. I wasn't, you know, any of these things enough because I was like, all right, well, I have this Gershwin tune I'm going to do. It's very, you know, and I need horns and I need, like, (laughs) backup singers. And, like, all right, I got this little indie tune that's going to be just this little thing. This is a little folk song. Here's a rock song. Here's something that sounds like the Stones. I need to do, I feel better. I feel great doing this. And I'm just after this high. And you know what? Versus had a punk rock song and a folk song. Hell yeah. Versus had blood and elderly woman behind on the same record. Yeah. You know what I mean? Seriously. So then, you know, or then you get to like Luke in and off he goes and you're like, so, and it all worked for me and it was all honest. So all my records have been on that, that license I got from listening to those records of, of freedom of freedom and of um, pluralism is okay and risks are okay and a middle finger to any kind of bin that you should be put in is okay.
0: And, you know, that idea of like sounding different or whatever, like writing different sort of genres or styles, Mm -hmm. it's still you. Totally. So it doesn't matter. Like, it's not like you have three different bands in the room playing three different songs. You have you writing three different feels of songs, Mm -hmm. right? And so I remember in my band going through that process where we were like on our, after our second record, it was like, we were really conscious of like, okay, we don't want to sound, we don't want to just write this first two records again, Mm -hmm. but we also need to maintain some sort of identity. And I always said like, we'll write anything and it's going to sound like us because it's us. Mm -hmm. You know, we could write whatever it is. We're not going to stray too far. We're not going to like write a hip hop record from a post rock band. right? Right, Right. But it's still going to be us, no matter what I write. Mm-hmm. It's still going to sound like Steve Moulter, mm-hmm. you know. As much as I don't want it to, maybe some days
1: right, right, <laughs>
0: it's right. too late. It's right. too bad. But I, I, I think taking those risks, and that's something you know, I'm trying to do now. Going from intru- primarily instrumental for my whole career, and now going into this sort of indie pop thing that I'm trying to establish here. What am I doing? I don't know, but it doesn't matter because I've done right. it before. I've done something before, and right. I, from that process and that those multiple processes, I can learn and apply it to this. Mm-hmm. Do I know how to write a pop song? Like, probably. I mean, maybe, but it's not something I have experience in. Right. But can I do it? Sure, because mm-hmm. you know I've written a thousand other songs. Right. So it's just like trying to draw from one thing and apply it to another, and then trying to give myself the you know the space to to take a risk mm-hmm. to be new and to feel experiment. scared yeah exactly and nervous yeah yeah and, all that and, stuff. and, and insecure some and days you know, that
1: thing fuck if anything fucking fizzles or or embarrasses you to someone who thinks you're something else it might inform the thing that happens after that that wouldn't exist if you didn't kind of just threaten yourself <laughs> yeah. but yeah i mean i mean for me and the, on the i've just come i think my last record too it was like oh that is his sound his sound is comf- comfortability and whatever he chooses to do is is the genre there you go <laughs> so and then it allowed me a little bit more license on my new record to just be like yeah okay that's all right cool i gotta yeah, pass that. yeah like, okay poof <laughs> <laughs> so
0: you're bet you better give me that in oh i'll have to we'll have to okay. get you holding it in the picture <laughs> for the thing that's amazing i i I have one of stone's picks that you know i was i don't know i think i was in vegas wasted and he like threw it and oh my god i got (laughs) stone but i keep that shit for sure oh yeah i actually played mccready's guitar we recorded in a studio in signal hill california it's long beach oh my god and uh mike goes down there all the time and he left his guitar one weekend and we happened to be recording that weekend and so the owner of the studio was like yeah that's mike's and we were like oh is it cool to play he's like yeah it's fine like no big deal it's here and I was like, oh my God. And so I actually recorded a track with his guitar simply exactly. because it was there. And it was an acoustic. I planned on playing the whole track on the record. Electric said, fuck it. It's mm. Mike's." So that's my like claim to Pearl Jam. It's awesome. But I love those guys. I saw them in Augusta in 1996. Whoa. And it was my brother and me and two of his friends drove up. And my buddy Kay, we drove up and... You know, it's like Augusta's pretty far up there. Yeah. Because yeah. we were in Westboro. What were they so. doing in Augusta? It was on the tour where they were it was ninety-six and they were like not ticketmaster venues. Oh, so they had right, to play like right, these right. weird fucking venues. So we went up to some like hockey rink in Augusta and it was a full moon. Dennis Rodman showed up. <clears throat> Dude, it was fucking magical. Like you talk about the magic was the same. Like I went crowd surfing for the first time and I was right up front. Eddie was pointing at me, like, yeah. And I like fell backwards and was like, Oh shit. And then somebody uh. caught me, and I looked down—it's my brother. I was
1: like,
0: "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> my gosh, it was fucking epic, dude!" So <laughs> those guys, though, they have provided so much joy for me so and sure. so much, you know, inspiration. And like, I don't play any riffs like they play. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's no direct correlation from my guitar playing to theirs, but it's I like know, they it's, are so it's
1: a method that they've and, and you know. Not, yeah, it's a it, it's a method. It's like a, a freeing method or a, a joy method or like, you know, you get in a you get in a conversation with some guitar friend nerds and they're like, "Oh, yeah, Mike McCready. it's like it's too too Jimi Hendrix for me." it's like, "Too, I'm like, "You got to see Mike McCready on fire one night." Yeah. You see Mike McCready on fire one night and he yeah. works so hard to be on fire. He's on fire most nights, right? Right. right. Yeah. Um, it doesn't take much to light yeah, the match. Yeah, and <laughs> he works so hard to get there. Yeah. Um and uh every night and, like prepare I know he prepares before shows like intensely in the It's like, there's nothing like it. You don't get to see that stuff. And then you
0: also look at the stuff he writes when he's, you know, he, you know, uh, why can't I think of the fucking song title? Present tense, you know, Mm -hmm. and you get a song like that and you're like, um, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, there's a lot more depth to him. He's not just like a flashy lead guitar player, which I I think a lot of people kind of automatically think he Mm -hmm. is, but
1: we're nerding out.
0: I love it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I got those. I got those. Oh,
0: sick dude. Yeah. I take the box sets. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't get up. I, I do have a binaural original pressing though that my buddies got me for my. So there's two of my boy, my buddies in my band. We're also like best friends from high school and college. I went to uh, I, that buddy I mentioned, Kay. He and I met when we were 15 in high school. Still best friends. I was the best man at his wedding. The whole thing. And my buddy Jeff plays. Uh, we met in college at University of Hartford. Played guitar together. We all three moved to LA. Started the band. And that's the band that uh, Beware of Safety. Okay. Anyway, the three of us were like best friends with a tripod and, uh, we get each other records for our birthdays every year. So we always know what we're going to get. Like we're going to get a record from the other two guys, but we never know which, you know, and a couple of years ago they got me, uh, the binaural original pressing, which is sick. And it's like, you know, I put it on Discogs, it's like 250 bucks or whatever, but like really? they bought, yeah, they bought it hopefully cheaper than that at yeah. <laughs> the time, but, um, yeah it's epic man I mean it's cool and like to be able to like build relationships like we're the only I feel like the three of us can always joke about Pearl Jam like we know right. them so well that we can like tear them to pieces just because you know, know. like yeah, when they play like Matt Cameron plays so fast at all the shows I, <laughs> I <know. laughs> Yeah, and it's like it's ridiculous but it's fun so it's always nice to like meet people who get that shit
1: you know? yeah it's cool
0: How do you deal with loneliness? Mm. Not just in the music, but in life, of course. Oh man,
1: that is That's the best question. Because the solo part is kind of a lie, right? Like, my the most important thing I I always say to anybody who asks, I'm like, you have to be the worst person in your band. <laughs> if you're not the worst person in your band, you're not gonna be any good. Yeah. You have to be the worst person in the studio when you're the songwriter. Yes. Um, and and I grew up loving bands. I didn't aim to be like I liked. I I I love Cat Stevens and I love James Taylor and I love Van Morrison and I love Tom Waits. That was never my goal, and I never thought I was good enough to just be that. Ended up going that way. And, um, I always gravitated towards creating some sort of group around me. Um, so I had Will Daly and the Rivals for a while. I have, I've had the same drummer for 14, 15 years, but I also have like, it's almost like a mission impossible thing when I have gigs or tours, it's like, okay, well, my drummer's a professional drummer. He might be in the studio or out with somebody, um, or I might not have the budget to bring him here or there. So I got, a drummer in chicago i got one or two in la same with bass players and some guitarists because that's just survival now um and we're all a bit older now so no one can really do it f- you know we don't do it for free anymore and um when that started to like become a reality that all right everyone needs to get paid livable wages and we- i need to get paid a livable wage It kind of ushered in more loneliness like the professionalism of this whole thing brought in loneliness. Um, what I loved in the beginning is like, well, everyone gravitates towards me cause I got the songs, you know, and everyone has songs in them, but I'm just dumb enough to think mine are good enough and I'm going to share them, you know? And, and it comes with a little bit of just like, I don't like, I don't fucking care. Give me, give me the drug. I'm going to do it. I yep. need to do it. This is so amazing. And I, that bug caught me probably with some probably in high school at the right time with some the the right friend here and there the right person I was playing with here and there, and uh, and for whatever reason that was just it. And um, but these play you know players need to go find other gigs. Yeah, they have um, to work all the time. They can't yeah. just be on call for you. And then there's the gigs I got to do by myself and drive, and I spend all day alone. And then I got to get in front of people. Or most of my, oh, 99% of my music I did not plan to play by myself with a guitar. In fact, one thing I like the least is playing alone with an acoustic guitar. When I do solo gigs, I play with an electric guitar. And if I can, I'll have two acoustics, two electrics, and a banjo on stage with me or something like that. That's my ideal solo show in in some sort of piano or something like that. But I can't afford to really bring all that sometimes. So the loneliness is just where, man, then it's, you have no one to help you with the self-doubt. You have no, you know, no one to feed off lives sometimes or, um, and, and then sometimes you just realize, well, a lot of these players are, this is their job and they have to have a good time with me now <laughs> and they're going to have a good time with someone else because someone else has got yeah. something. And that's a fun gig. And I understand, man, I really understand. Uh, for a while I tried to like get in some other songwriters bands to just like feel the other end. Yeah, totally. And to, to have that experience. And I was opening up for, for my friend, Heather Maloney and, and she's a, a, a beautiful folk singer. And, and I was, I was like, can I just play guitar in your band every night? And so she just let me, And I was like, this is great. And I just, and then I'm like, I'm, oh, I'm, I get to talk with the drummer and the bass player all night. We get to hang out while she goes off. I'm like, oh my God, I'm on the other side of it. It's so much more communal. And like, this is like great, like, you know, freedom in not having the whole gig rest on you. Like the gig goes bad. It's pretty much you. Right. Absolutely. Well, it can be. It's, it's mostly you and a lot of everyone else too, you know, because they're lifting you up and all that. Absolutely. When it goes bad, it's it's just you. Yeah, absolutely. And they can go on to another gig. So it's just, how do I cope with loneliness? Yeah. Um, I write songs about it. I, um, (laughs) you know, I think also I grew up, I'm an only child of my parents. I have siblings, uh, half and steps, but, um that allowed me probably a lot of coping things. If I have to be honest about loneliness, you know, um, and, uh, I like being alone that, that helps a little bit. Um, but I also, I'm always on the quest for that sibling, that like immediate sibling that maybe would have grown up with me since infancy, um, and understood what it was like for me. And so that's where the band comes in. So I'm always just going back and forth in the quest uh for for that intimacy and um being having the tools to to survive it from how i was raised
0: what's your greatest fear
1: i played my cards wrong and i'll and i'll I won't have uh, any money to send a kid to school. I'll die broke, and uh, and we'll be like, yeah, music was just a selfish thing, and the impact was only yours. And on, in my logic, self would be like, uh, no, that's not true. Um, in in that, but coupled with that is like, you should have been doing something else to help humanity. And not your time on earth. But are you? I mean, aren't you with the work you do? You well, know? maybe that's why I do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but then I'm like, is it enough? And like, oh, am I, am I cheating the system because I'm doing it through with music instead of just doing it? But the music helps me, give me power to do it and have a voice in doing it and all that. So, um, but yeah, and the greatest fear is that, you know, at the end of it all, you'll just be like, was it enough? And was I just fooling myself the whole time? And was this just selfishness the whole time. Um But I mean like now you, I know I know I'm everything I've said thus far has been Oh uh, no I've always been stri- striking that balance but that's why I'm striking that balance yeah, because that's course. my greatest fear maybe.
0: So but I mean like you have you're married mm-hmm. you have a child. One kid? Two. Two kids. Mm-hmm. So you know you're doing what you can to help them. Obviously, you yeah. know, you're not alone in this, which is I imagine. Great. Right. Yeah. Right. You have a partner to do it with. Uh, yeah. Um, how do you guys, and this is just kind of a, a, a thought. I'm so curious about how you manage your time with your partner, with your kids. Like what goes into that thought process? Because to me, that's like the hardest thing that I see in a lot of these professionals who mm-hmm. have families and have commitments and relationship commitments.
1: Um, yeah. Because it is a very self-centered space to be in art when with art and when art becomes your your career it's a very it can be overly self-centered and i see it f- very in various forms of corruption uh amongst my travels but um like i said before if, I, if i'm if i not dedicating to people I, I can't be dedicated to art you know there's nothing there's nothing there there's nothing there and um I think that's how I keep my balance and my wife is just really amazing and cool and was my best friend before we were even together and um so that helps and we have a, a long history we know each other well and um and i don't yeah i think just keeping keeping the balance and realizing i have to sacrifice the art sometimes we're told as artists you don't sacrifice anything you don't give don't give anything and don't tell some label to let you, you know i have this thing of like will daily never let a label tell him what to do i worked with labels before i wanted to hear other people's ideas i wanted to hear someone say i'd really like you to try this i'm like That sounds wrong to me. I want to try it, you know, and, um, and I've also never been in a position of power or anything. I've never had a hit single to be, to, to live off. I have nothing to live off of musically. I literally have to just keep going. It's a day job, seven days a week. And, um, so I I forget my train of thought really, but it's just, um, uh, it's, um, you know, it's, how you're striking the balance. Striking your, the balance yeah. and letting letting people in and letting other things take precedence ends up being compost for your art. Yeah. And I feel like artists are sold too many lies or at the very least anomalies. Mm-hmm. So say, oh, Prince, when he was 18, he walked in and he produced everything. He didn't anyone tell him what to do. Now, Prince is a genius and a god and... and you know, there's there's a handful of artists I think like when I see like Childish Gambino, when I yeah. see David Bowie, when I see Prince, I'm like Michael Jackson. I'll never be that. I'm not I don't think I'm that. Right. I think I'm a um they're gods and I'm I'm one of their disciples, mm-hmm. you know? And um but there's a lot of poison about the lies of their career that happened and, and people take away um the the idea of um, you can add this up. What's it called when you work with people? Collaboration. Collaboration.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> staying in for sure.
1: Collaboration. <laughs> Everything is collaboration. Yeah. Everything is yeah. fucking collaboration. One hundred percent. There's nothing. The, the 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 wheels in my car, the pavement on the road, the microphone that captured the sound is part of the collaboration. Paul John Lennon would not have gotten to imagine if he didn't compete and collaborate with Paul McCartney and competition and collaboration all those things and so my relationships with family to band members community when even when it's not musical is musical collaboration for me is competition is struggle which leads to art and and often those artists that we vault too highly their worst work is, comes when they think they don't need that shit anymore, or I'm in control of this, or I got myself well that's when the worst shit happens, and when it gets too comfortable, we know that too um so so the struggle of a balance is art,
0: yeah, absolutely i so that idea of people like rolling in and being like, this is how it goes like there's no way. I mean, maybe and maybe I'm wrong with this, but there's no way Prince walks in and goes, "Okay, play this beat, play that guitar, like do the thing, blah, 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 press the faders that way. Right. Do this. Cut the tape this way. Like, nah, that's not how it goes. Right. He goes in going, this is how it's going to sound. And they go, we're going to help you achieve that sound. Yeah. You know, and and the myth. Everybody wants to believe that no, he just fucking did it all himself. That's cool, man. That's a great story, but generally those stories are kind of bullshit mm-hmm. and they become myth, they become legend. And, you know.
1: All and here's that. A, uh, here's an important part of that arc that we, we don't talk about as artists it's like a lot of the records that are going to endure the most came when no one owed him anything and he didn't have a lot of power. And the time, the band, the time could still push back on him. Then he got so powerful. There's a lot of people making their annual nut off him. They're 100 grand a year. they're 200 grand a year. they're, they're 500,000 grand a year. Then you're not going to disturb anything or rock anything. You're not going to tell him what for. You want to keep that nut exactly the same every year. So when then he starts making shit, you just say, "It's good. we got to get out and get you on the road. When he starts getting addicted to fentanyl, you don't say, "We need to stop you working for a year." Because you're going to lose your paycheck. Nut. Yeah. yeah. You're going to lose your paycheck. And that is what's continuously happening. So when people say, Oh, I can't believe Tom Petty went out and did it. Uh, what a hero. Well, you know what? Maybe everyone around him should have said, I'm maybe it's just, I'm not going to play with you. I'm not going to work this tour. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go out and say, stop because I love you. And I want to hear the record you make five years from now. You know? Um, I want you to do more tours. And this one, we need to do a year of healing. Um, and so we have all these musicians that we, because because the the lure of rock and roll still gets gets by a, gets a pass on the Me Too movement, gets a pass on racism, gets oh, a pass man. on wealth and inequality, and gets a pass on drug addiction that the fans get to celebrate, while you know Tom Petty's kids don't have a dad, you know, and at the end of the day, those fucking musicians and the. And I'm not saying anyone, single person or anything like that, but the the management companies, the agents, you know, they, they don't, maybe don't have that much nut anymore, that, that paycheck anymore. Some of them know how to then turn the death into a lot more money. Um, And it makes them a lot more money. But, um, I don't know. I want my artists to survive.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, like we deal with that, you know, the 2016 was a crazy year for celebrity deaths Mm -hmm. and like, that was insane. And you know for for guys like us i mean we're both like you know rock and roll fans obviously seattle was huge like chris mm-hmm. cornell you know even scott Weiland. like i was yeah. a huge fan like just it's shocking yeah. at this age that these guys are able and i think you're dead on with that man like mm-hmm. it's the little, the yes men and the i need from you so i'm not mm-hmm. going to prevent you from collapsing
1: and what is also happening to the American male, especially the American white male needs to have a reckoning. Mm. Like when people say to me, "It must be so hard being a musician. I'm like, you know what? I'm white. I'm tall. I'm relatively good looking. I'm from the <laughs> Northeast America. Yeah. Okay. My family is made up of good people. Yeah. If I, anytime I have fallen on hard times, it's, it's, it's cushioned, you know, to a certain degree. Uh, also because of the respect i work hard but it's, it's just not that right hard right. i'm pretty sure it was hard to be a fiddle player in 1880 when your string broke yeah. <laughs> you know on <laughs> right. the night of the gig cuz right. you don't have amazon to pack you yeah. new one i'm pretty sure it's hard to be the only female singer uh in a band in 1910 going from town to town and that yeah. was that was hard yeah Or starting
0: a genre in Brooklyn, right? Yeah, Queens, because you are you don't have a voice and no one wants to give
1: you one. Yeah, and they've taken music out of your school, so you know what we all we have Mm -hmm. is this um,
0: turntable and a microphone. Yeah, let's see what we can do. Let's make a billion dollars. Absolutely, fuck them. Absolutely, I love that shit. Fucking a man, definitely. So,
1: and or we took. Music out of schools, and we're, we're not going to teach kids rock and rock and roll or classical music. right right, we're going to make punk rock. We're not. Yeah. Gonna, we don't know. You're not going to show us how to play this thing. We're just going to turn it up and fuck you. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um,
1: so music always finds a way, and I yeah. don't. I, I'm always blown away by my friends who, you know, advocate for equal pay for artists um, and and take companies to task like Spotify. But I don't have a conversation about Spotify because um, I don't know a time in history when artists were paid correctly. If you can point to that time, I'll do my best to make it that time. Um, art happens no matter what. And if you are going to stifle music education, if you're going to try to keep um, black people from having music education, they're, you're just going to fuck yourself later on. Absolutely. you know. And Jay-Z... And Kendrick Lamar are going to fucking make you look like an asshole and sound like an asshole when you question what they're doing on stage. And I love that. I'm so entertained by that. Um, So, but the white male right now with the Me Too movement, with, with Black Lives Matter, with our rampant inequality, it needs to have its own awakening of... You know, what happens when I think of Robin Williams, when I think of Chris Cornell, when I think of Scott Wong, when I think of like being white meant like, all right, there's a couple steps I just need to do to be a hero. And it's not that hard. That um, d- takes nothing away from their beauty or anything like that. And they're a lauded example, but there's a lot of white men in despair because we've been sold this thing that's automatic that is becoming less automatic. And the worst of us are having a horrible backlash to that. And so when we really think about it, we have to admit that men's lives have been fodder for rich men for millennia. And we're told that we're the ones who oh, there's some bad guys in a building in Nakatomi Plaza. You just need one guy with a gun and no shoes and the whole problem be solved. Great movie. <laughs> Great movie. But I grew up thinking like, oh, yeah, I just need to struggle. If I'm struggling, if my feet are bleeding, and if I persevere, I can do it all alone. And I don't need any help. And my vulnerability is only my own. You know? Um, and I that whole thing was, is just a lie totally man just to get men to give up their lives or to give up um their empathy or to give up their their right of you know just that or to give <laughs> to, to hold on to the idea that they deserve everything eventually and um we need to have just a course correction on that yeah um I'll, and- I'll, it's happening it's happening slowly but no one's talking about the role yet we're talking about bad 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 men right but we need to have yeah. a conversation about you got to understand wealthy men view every other man below them as cannon fodder yep that's but that's like, just the way we've been raised and that's almost maybe biologically how we are so let's talk about that but and 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 so then that kind
0: of leads me to a it's interesting you bring this up, and this is coming up, however, it's coming up. but I interviewed a woman the other day who's a, an artist in Boston, and she's a woman. She identifies as queer, and she talked about how much she has been oppressed in the art community because she's a woman, simply because she's a woman, and she's white. you know, and we talked a little bit about how difficult it is, you know, for everyone, POC uh, women they're just everything's a struggle all the fucking time and then you know you and me were well, white men and she asked me like well you know what are we what how do you feel you know and then we talked a little bit this is after the interview so we were talking sort of off the record but I'm curious and she encouraged me to like talk about this more with in my interviews especially with white men white artists mm-hmm. especially so it's funny we're here but you know I talked about how I felt you know, I, during the Me Too movement, especially, I looked at that and I, I saw all these terrible things that were coming out and these brutal things that happened to these women. And I started to look at myself in the mirror and say, oh, my God, like I didn't do things like that, you know, like, but I I I'm sure I said to her, like, I'm sure I looked too long at somebody. I'm sure I said, oh, come on. You know, Mm -hmm. come on, like, why not, you know, put pressure on. And like, I just feel fucking terrible about that. Mm -hmm. And it's trying to find the balance of like feeling responsibility for the things that I have done in the past. um, But also not like letting my guilt destroy me. Right. Right. And like, how do you, I mean, what do you think? You know I mean? Like, how do we, what do we do? (laughs) You know, because I want to do, I want to help. I want to not be... Um, you know, part of the problem, mm-hmm. you know, and my silence can be part of the problem, especially because of who we are, you know?
1: Right. I, mean, it's, I have to think of all the things like inside manhood that I've thought of in that they all need to be addressed. And then lauded by positive examples, like we need to, talk about lust and taking and turn it into like expressing desire. How do you express desire as a man, you know, and then allow vulnerability to be part of that, you know, and then we have to have an honest conversation about, um, what, what is the interest, the compounded interest of men, poor men, black men, white men, men of color, any kind, being the sacrificed for the, those in power. And what, what does that mean for centuries? And, and how, how has that affected some of these things? In that, well, in, in how we're told, I, single, I I alone can do this. You know, now when you're in bands, you realize, you know, that's the beautiful part of being in bands, back to bands. <laughs> you, I think that's yeah. why you stay open for that. You, yes. You're open to it for the first time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, in so really having that conversation, because that would, that's an important part about the violence in our world is like, well, powerful people take men, give them a label of American, Muslim, you know, jihadi or freedom fighter or whatever it is to get them to go do the thing that they need them to do to this to to take something, to control something. Um, and you become a puppet and then that just descends down and down and down and down through the generations from father to next to next boy to next boy. Um and just corrupts us. Yeah. It corrupts us. And
0: that's that systemic oppression that exists today. Yeah. In 2018, uh, despite who the president is. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, I'm this guy sucks fucking, but you know, it it doesn't matter because that systemic oppression is there and has been there. And the people of color and the women are being pushed down Mm -hmm. constantly. And thankfully now things are coming to light
1: that we can start addressing it. Hopefully, I just hope the people but I think but, I think maybe he is he is like it's it said he's what we deserve but maybe he is exactly what we need cuz he represents the in every facet the worst thing about all of us. Yeah. It's yeah, the greatest exclamation exclamation point you can have and if you look if we are a body of, of people he might be that vaccine shot that gets the body's immune system and say, oh, we need to wake the fuck up. And that's exactly, what, you know, what's happening. It's going to be like that vaccine shot, like, oh yeah, I'm sick for the next 24 hours or f- two years or four years or maybe, no, hopefully no hopefully longer. Less, but less, yeah. Um, and now we get to have these conversations. I'm afraid we have all these conversations and resist becomes uh, putting, putting a wall up against that as opposed to having the conversation having you're conversation. having that she proposed to you, that right. you're proposing to me, that we're talking about here, that will exist there, that people can think about because I mean I talk to, to female friends who've never thought of like, oh yeah, never thought of like Yeah, men are just sacrificed by men in power. Yeah. Like that's the whole that's the whole thing. And um and then we try to trick ourselves to become the man that is that man. mm mm-hmm. Yeah, And, and then Holy we take shit. all all that rage, that compound interest of loss, rage, and being cheated and, um, and take it out on other men or women, uh, anyone we think could, could be below it, you know, right. to, to yeah. exercise it. Yeah. Yeah. And Less. our desires and our lust needs to be talked, our lust needs to be talked about, um, desire and instead yeah well and, that's an
0: interesting point and you talk about vulnerability and i love invul- that yeah. word and i love vulnerability yeah. in the world and i wish we would all do it more often yeah. i wish i would
1: do it more often just i try um but like like- if i tell them like i don't have sex i feel less safe in the world yeah. <laughs> we yeah. don't have sex like I, 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 I that's just the, yeah. my vulnerability i feel yeah. uh, i'm much more comfortable when i'm scared if i don't mm. and i feel you know that's just mm. the truth yeah. like i just feel yeah. i feel um Alone and abandoned. Yeah. If I don't. Yeah. Hey, man. <laughs> you know? And,
0: and for, for me, it's like discovering, like, you know, I traveled a lot recently and um, being alone, like alone yeah. traveling and, you know, you meet people and you have to kind of get to know people and be whatever, be open. And in being open, you're being vulnerable. You're letting people in. You don't know these people at all. Falling in love. Same thing. Fall, I've, I have a girlfriend and we met however many months ago, eight, nine, 10 months ago and like letting her in. You know, I've been staunchly single for a long time and letting someone in and see, you know, and you talk about the word desire that, you know, not just see my insecurities, which are there, but also see my desires that some people can say, whoa, that's weird. Mm -hmm. Oh, you like that? Mm -hmm. That's, you know, I'm afraid to be judged. That's a trigger for me coming back to my childhood, like my parents and looking and all this shit that goes on between them and yada, yada, yada. But like, if I feel judged, I'm terrified. Mm -hmm. If I feel vulnerable, And open and accepted and loved anyway. Oh my God. You know, that's number three on the list, right? Playing in a band, sex, and then that thing. Right? It's probably, that's probably number one, but it is like that vulnerability and that foray into vulnerability on a regular basis that builds it and keeps you open and keeps you right. Able to have these conversations. And for me as a white man to try to have these conversations with my female friends and my girlfriend and my mom, you know, and yeah. to think about my niece who's growing up, who's five. And yeah. how do you talk to her about what's going on in the world? How do you prepare her for men?
1: Right. Well, I really, and I noticed when I had a daughter and she's, and I'm like, Oh, the first five years in your life, everyone just tells you you're cute and beautiful. And I, and I was like, I mean, I knew, you know, like, you know it, but then yeah, are like, Oh my God. So I like, we wrestle. I'm like, you know, yeah. I let her wrestle. I yeah. I always do this, like when we're wrestling. She's like, "Okay," like these little things that trigger in my head. She's like, "All right, stop!" I'm like, I stop immediately. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Okay, Definitely. what do you want?" Yep, yep. Tell me, Talk what, to you me. know what's up? Um, she, not, not she's like, "Stop!" she will be like, "No, yeah. she's she's like, like, I don't want to like do this." But anymore. even her version of like, "Stop!" <laughs> yeah. of, like, I'm, a, I'm making like a karate pose, or something. Right. Right. she's like, "Stop!" I'm like, "Okay, yeah, I'll stop absolutely. When you say stop, absolutely. anything I'm doing, like if I'm, um, and then um. Also, and then we get through these conversations, we have these conversations, and we have, you know, the, the, the legacy of manhood and we discuss it really. Um, at the end, we need to then reapply what manhood strength is because yes. everything you just described to me yeah. is pure strength to me. Yeah, yeah. It's pure male strength. When I see a gun, any gun, and I grew up obsessed with guns really? and Rambo and all that stuff Okay. And, or John McClane or an action movie, you know, and th- thinking like, and I, I applied it to my, mu- I applied it to my career. Like I can do this no matter what. But when I see a guy, I just see pure weakness, absolute weakness. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it's our most cowardly creation and, Represents nothing of manhood or safety. Now, fucking a. Uh, if I lived on a farm with law enforcement fifteen minutes away, would I want a, a single load rifle or a single load shell shotgun? Sure, mm. I can understand. I can understand that. Yes. Um. But when you see some of the when you see all the conversations other than that one. You know, or other than the um, right to organize in a regulated way, um, I just see weakness, and I see fear that is all-consuming. I understand their fears of how I want to protect my family, or what if what if this happens? What if someone? I understand that fear, but I when I see the gun as the answer, I see the fear is completely consumed. You. Absolutely.
0: And I think that's the biggest, you, you've talked about it in a few areas where fear is sort of a subtext to what's going on. And mm-hmm. like there's fear is a, is, I I see the world from two perspectives for myself, for me. And generally I see it in other people. I can either make decisions based in fear or I can make decisions based in love. Mm-hmm. There's no in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to make all my decisions based in love. Do I? No. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we start living in fear, when we start doing this more guns conversation, which is mm-hmm. fucking ridiculous oh, well, we don't need less guns, we need more guns. What the
1: fuck? Like I don't understand that at all. Well, that's been the conversation, and, and just yeah. logically, that's been conversation that's been winning for the past thirty years. So we wouldn't yeah. maybe, yeah, maybe I, mean, I might have something to do with it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this is not the answer. Yeah, I, and it just like things like
0: that. Like I and I appreciate the way you put it. I understand their fears, but I don't understand the consumption of them, right? Mm-hmm. Or the the that the, yeah. the fears consuming them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I get. Yeah, I want to protect my family, sure, but like fuck man i don't know i don't know it's just it,
1: and, and, and but i see yeah, but i see you know? i see a corruption of manhood mm, mm-hmm. when i when i hear it um and um you know and i, I don't even want to bring any specific person up actually i don't like saying their names and that's that's the only thing i'm going to talk about but yeah. but yeah it's a corruption of manhood yeah. and um and that's not to say anything about uh a woman's fears and why she might want uh, a firearm. But uh, but I'm speaking on behalf of of men, especially since we have the upper hand in strength. Yeah. Yep. So, um, but I, I've been in some gun altercations and mm. I've had a gun pulled on me. Wow. And I just saw someone who's fear, host f- had fear and was not creative. <laughs> and, um, and when you and I and I knew at that moment I could think of a million things and a million solutions and a million ways this situation could go. And they could think of one thing. And it was this black machine in their hand that was the sum of all their fears, the sum of all their ideas, and the sum the sum of their manhood. Right then and there. Yeah. yeah. And they're in jail. It's crazy. But but so, so, so to get the, the conversation we're having is like, I'm like, yeah, we have this conversation. I don't know. I'm not scratching everything I just yeah. said, but, but no, what, no, no, going no, no. back to yeah. like, hopefully you've, you, you, you <laughs> put this down, but <laughs> like, probably not. What, what you, what <laughs> you professed five minutes ago was like that. That's the ideal man. That's manhood. That's strength. That's pure strength. There is no strength Without vulnerability Yeah You have to the ha, You have to be open You have to be willing To To get knocked down And be like Yeah I got knocked down And yeah. I get down And I'm like I'm gonna rush for it And claw someone's eyes out Then you're vul- Then you're Then you're crazy yeah. And you're not Safe And you're hurting Other things And you're You don't You don't know What's going on man What
0: will you miss the most when you're gone? Just
1: being here. Yeah, because I won't be anywhere. I don't, you know. I I try to spend this profound, profoundly random circumstance that I'm in. As if it's... This is it, man. I'm I'm be here now. I'm here now and I'm um the chances are so fucking random. So ridiculous. That I am doing art because it is the only key I have to understanding and not completely doing that thing where my face swallows itself and turns into a black hole and a the whole being is gone because it's just too much to think about yeah. and art allows me balance allows me to admit that allows me to toy with it have fun with it and so on those nights when I'm lying in bed I'm like what the fuck have I done in my life I've totally screwed it up that's the part of the human mind that ignores the pure beauty of the randomness and thinks, oh, I I just need to snap in line and I I need a 401k, you know? And um, I'll be perfectly happy at the end of my days if I can't get up and pick up a guitar to like work in a bookstore or work in a used record store and tell people what CDs were. And um, so I'll just... I won't miss anything when I'm gone because I won't be here.
0: Hey, thanks for tuning in. Check us out at fivequestions.me, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the Apple Podcast Store. Check out willdaily.com. Thanks for tuning in. Take care.